Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Boundless Voices podcast. I'm Amber. And I'm Nicole. And today we're going to talk about Descendants by Kelly Hart Hemings. So, The Descendants is about a family who has been entrusted with a lot of Hawaiian land because they're ancestors from missionaries as well as ali'i, which an ali'i is basically a member of the ruling class, basically. And while all that's happening, Matt King, the main character's wife, just got into a boating accident and is in a coma. So he kind of has to take responsibility for their two daughters who are 10-year-old Scotty and 17-year-old Alex. So it's, yeah, it's, it's like a drama. It's both like a story about the family and also there's this thing going on in the background that's to do with the land and the trust. So we were kind of talking about this before and we thought that the book was a little bit problematic in the way that it portrayed Hawaii because it seems like a lot of people maybe are going into reading this book with the intention to educate themselves about Hawaii and about what life is like living here. And while I think it does it does an interesting job of juxtaposing the touristy ideal of Hawaii. It also doesn't give the most accurate or even like helpful. Yeah. It's it's not a very constructive perspective yeah. of Hawaii. It's really strange how it's biased. It's almost like the main character doesn't like native Hawaiians who are native Hawaiian passing you know like having dark skin and like talking pigeon mm-hmm. he almost thinks of them as inferior and unintelligent mm-hmm. like i can read this quote okay so this specific scene is when matt king goes to like this gift shop at the hospital and he sees alex's old modeling postcards and he's trying to buy all of them but then like the lady is like really confused because he's being kind of rude and so he says I can tell that nothing will come out of this conversation. It will be a confused and combative verbal, pigeon verbal mat. And so, I don't know, like the way that he specifies that it's going to be pigeon and also like circular, you know, in like conversation, it's kind of strange. I mean, I marked this because I was looking at your highlights previously and I had like kind of a counter argument to that point, which is that I think a part of the fact that he thought the conversation would be so confused is because of the context, which is that he doesn't know how to explain that his daughter is the one modeling in these photos and like that makes him uncomfortable but looking back on it the fact that it does specify pigeon verbal kind of just adds to that association of pigeon being confusing and like irrational almost like maybe i'm reading too much into it but like pigeon verbal kind of makes it seem like pigeon is the reason for it being combative and confusing you know yeah i see what you mean Hmm. but then like another thing to add on to the pigeon thing this kind of just added to like what made me feel kind of like turned off by the way that matt king interacted with people who spoke pigeon Mm -hmm. because it was like i run down the hall with my daughter feeling like i'm in some other country all around people speak pigeon english and glare at the two of us like we're crazy white fools even though we're hawaiian but we don't look it and we don't count as true or real hawaiians because we don't talk right either so he seems very like almost aggressive what he doing here is he's categorizing the non-white passing native hawaiian community as really like almost bigoted 
Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, when you... Okay, you can say that the Native Hawaiian community who, like, looks Native Hawaiian and speaks pidgin, like, you can say that, oh, yeah, they're prejudiced because they are. Like, as minorities, people are prejudiced. But then, like, not explaining or, like, not taking the time to understand why people are, like, the way they are is mm. really backwards to me. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like I can comment on this because, like, when you look at me, I don't look like you don't see, like, Hawaiian, you know? And I also, mm-hmm. as you can hear, like, this, I'm not talking pigeon right now. So I've had, like, comments to me about, like, how I look and how I speak. But then it's like, I don't hold it against anyone. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's not even, like, something that's in my mind because I understand where that's coming from. It's the generational trauma mm-hmm. where people don't trust foreigners because foreigners were just known to, like, screw everything up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even though prejudice isn't a good thing. Like, you shouldn't glamorize prejudice and say it's, like, you know, excuse people for being prejudiced. But just know, like, having, understanding the reason why people act the way they do makes them appear human, you know? Mm-hmm. And not, like, these racist idiots yeah just kind of e. <laughs> there was one scene that we wanted to highlight that kind of ties into the language thing but also just in general how different races were portrayed in this book yeah because it was pretty problematic so one of the like most obvious examples the king family so matt and his two daughters are at the airport trying to get to Kauai, and while they're in line they see these four like hawaiian boys who are kind of characterized in like a very degrading way and stereotypical and almost like a little objectification if you ask me (laughs) (laughs) yeah so the description is one carries an ukulele and has a tribal tattoo and twined around his right leg another wears a tank top that reveals the entire side of his torso a black nipple and a wild bushel of armpit hair it's like if that's not stereotypical i don't know what is Uh (laughs) uh-oh and to top all of that off they aren't wearing shoes to the airport yeah, and they get into an argument, right, with, like, the ESA person yeah. about, like, why they can't wear slippers. Mm-hmm. And so one of them says, we knew we had to take them off, so we never went wear any. Which, of course, is pigeon, but I'm not able to Okay, <laughs> like, whenever pigeon was written, like, I appreciated the representation of all these things, but it was really strange because, like, usually with pigeon, I can put it in my brain and be mm-hmm. like, oh, yes, this is what it sounds like when I read it or, like, when somebody were to say it to me. Yeah. Even though, like, I'm, I don't speak pigeon myself. But, like, when I read that, I was like, this just seems like nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because pigeon is, like, a Creole language that's a mix of Hawaiian, English. There's a bunch of other cultures, depending on where you live. So the problem with, like, me criticizing the pigeon in the book is because there's actually pigeon dialects on each island. And because mm-hmm. my family is from Maui, I'm very familiar with, like, the maui dialect but Mm. like also i mean maui and oahu are pretty similar Mm. so i don't know i heard like nihau has more chinese influence or maybe Mm. that's kawaii which is kind of interesting while like maui and oahu have like more portuguese Mm -hmm. so going back to the quote after this boy says this scotty the 10 year old daughter corrects his grammar and says never wore any which is just kind of annoying. Yeah. I mean, if you live in Hawaii, like, I don't know anyone who, like, actually corrects people's grammar when they're speaking in pidgin. Because it's kind of just assumed that, like, yeah, it's pidgin English. Like, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> I mean, 
I mean, even say like when I was a kid, I never heard somebody speaking pigeon and I was like, okay, that's wrong. You mm-hmm. know? So yeah. I don't know. It's like what that does in the book is it draws a divide between like the King family and the locals mm-hmm. because it's like this girl doesn't even understand what pigeon is. Yeah, it's very othering. Yeah. And then what's like even weirder is that when they're in Kauai, there's like this one scene where Matt, the father, tells his daughters specifically to speak in pidgin rather than speaking in perfect English. To like the waitress because then they'll treat you better or something. Yeah. Which is really strange. Yeah, I mean, because it seems like the way that they've talked about it before, it's kind of not something that you can just turn on and off if you don't know how to speak it. Like, if this happened in real life, and this person who claims that they don't speak pidgin told his kids to, oh yeah, speak pidgin for this waitress, then the waitress, if she speaks pidgin, she'd be so confused. Mm -hmm. She's like, are these kids making fun of me? Yeah. I've had that experience at my school where I see these people pretending to speak pigeon to be all funny or like to act cool i don't know which one yeah and like it it sounds bad and offensive yeah pigeon english is associated with a lot of bad in the community it's like because if you speak pigeon then you're you sound uneducated yeah and so if you're just trying to pick it up like that and try to say it whenever and it's wrong Mm -hmm. then it's like well you're really ignorant to what people who actually talk like that have to go through like my family has talked about how like teachers used to think that english was their second language oh wow (laughs) yeah because of the grammar of pigeon is a lot Mm -hmm. Different. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's very ignorant. I mean, I'm not assuming that this family doesn't understand those things, but I'm just like picturing like what would have happened in real life. Mm-hmm. And that's not realistic, especially if they're like, oh, yeah, we don't speak pigeon well. And then they're like, okay, but now turn it on for this waitress. Yeah. That just smells disaster. (laughs) Okay, but like going back to that scene with like the people with the fish coolers and the shark tooth necklace. Mm -hmm. Like when they get on the airplane, she like writes on this paper and says, I will not make fun of big Hawaiians. I will not make fun of big Hawaiians. So Mm -hmm. that's this think that kind of struck me as like a little bit of objectification a little bit. It's Mm -hmm. like she's categorizing big Hawaiian. It's almost like an object. Yeah. You know, and like something that's it's really strange. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'm reading... I'm not reading too much into it. This is weird. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess, like, for context also, this family is descended from Hawaiians. Yeah. And so it's weird that throughout the book, they kind of go back and forth between whether or not they identify as Hawaiian. And you can kind of see that based on how they describe the people around them. Yeah. What threw me off was that they were, like, dying on this hill that, like, they were Hawaiian and no one could tell them that they weren't. But then they were, like, making fun of the non- white passing hawaiian community and it's Mm -hmm. really jarring it makes you doubt like whether they actually are hawaiian because i feel like it i mean i don't know this is just kind of my personal opinion but if you want to identify with the culture first you got to respect it right Mm -hmm. when he's dying on this hill like wow they're glaring at us but we're hawaiian they don't know Mm -hmm. it kind of confuses me yeah i think the other interesting thing too is that because there's this emphasis on the trust and the land that they own yeah the decision that matt king makes towards the end of the story is kind of like the climax and he's deciding well he's supposed to be picking a buyer but eventually he decides he's not going to sell it at all and he's going to keep it in the family and his logic behind that is that he and his daughters are hawaiian and this is like their birthright and it's something that they should pass down and keep in their family because they are hawaiian and that was 
weird because there was such an emphasis on their Hawaiian heritage just only at the very end versus in the beginning there's such a clear separation between oh the Hawaiians and then there's us yeah which is so strange yeah I don't know that rubbed me the wrong way because like all the little characterizations that we showed right now I feel like it's fair to say that it's characterizing them in a not very favorable light and I don't think that's very good especially when you're writing a book that's going to be consumed by people who aren't from here then they're going to be like oh the native population oh the native (laughs) yeah (laughs) and you're just going to enable their racism a little bit and like Mm -hmm. the stereotypes which are kind of shown throughout this book yeah so moving on there were a couple things that we actually did like seeing in this book however we thought they could have been done better and so the first one on our list is the distrust of western medicine amber if you want to get us started on that topic okay yes i thought that this was interesting because in hawaiian history there's a lot of like distrust of western medicine that goes around and that happens with a lot of indigenous cultures when the missionaries came they brought education and i think later on like western medicine and stuff after they realized that oh yeah we're bringing diseases too and killing Mm -hmm. everyone (laughs) but then like because native hawaiians were in poverty and they were switching from like you know their culture Uh and it being kind of stamped out by the missionaries yeah they had like a general distrust of western medicine because they distrusted like western foreigners and so you see that with like a bunch of other indigenous groups too Mm -hmm. who also have very similar stories like dying of smallpox and the flu there's a lot of parallels which is really interesting but the problem with this book and how it portrayed it was that the mom who got into a boating accident stayed at queens and so while they were at queens matt was like criticizing like healthcare i was like healthcare they just want to take my money and well (laughs) it was just like cool like you know distrust western medicine that's an interesting theme but like queens it's like literally made because of that (laughs) (laughs) yeah so queen's hospital the story behind that is that queen emma who's the hawaiian queen at the time created this hospital like smallpox was like killing like everyone (laughs) (laughs) but then also native hawaiians didn't have the means or didn't want to get western medicine you know to help with that Mm -hmm. so queen emma or kalele wanalani she created the endowment for queen's hospital which is actually a very local business and that's one thing that is kind of their main foundation is you know to try to help native hawaiians who don't have the means or the knowledge to get western medicine so it's really strange that the author chose queen's hospital out of all the hospitals in Hawaii and even drop the name and just to criticize it yeah when it's probably maybe the only hospital or one of the only hospitals that you should probably steer away from so actually this is like another thing that we thought was an interesting topic to bring up that the author could have dove deep into but didn't really hit all of the points on which is the clubs because the outrigger is named okay guys so this is the story this is the jam so actually she didn't like name the club she didn't say what it was but you can like very easily deduce what which club they're talking about because it's in waikiki it's like historical and it invented beach volleyball how many clubs are in waikiki that invented beach volleyball (laughs) only one (laughs) 
all the clubs in Hawaii have very racist and sexist histories. And that's a very interesting topic to bring up when you're from the perspective of a, of a Hawaiian person who's a member at one of those clubs. Yeah. But then to not bring it up and to just be like, wow, this club, we love it so much. <laughs> no culture shock at all happening here. Yeah. I feel so at home. <laughs> It's very strange, and I didn't expect it that much. Yeah, what did you think? I mean, because I'm coming from, like, kind of an outsider perspective, I think I didn't really notice anything at first. And so I think that's kind of a testament to how problematic this book is, because we were looking at reviews that were saying, like, oh, I'm coming to visit Hawaii, and I'm reading this book to research what it's like to live in Hawaii. First of all, you shouldn't be getting your information from, like, a fiction drama book. <laughs> yeah, but also... We talked about this before, but because of the lack of representation of Hawaii in books, if you do choose to write a book that is set in Hawaii and deals with real life people or like real life businesses. places and businesses, mm -hmm. then you have a lot of responsibility to portray that place accurately and constructively because people are going to be reading this book and maybe this is the only perception of Hawaii that they're going to get. Yeah, so that's why we're kind of nitpicky on this because yeah, there really isn't that much. And even like in Polynesian cultures, there's not that much literature representation of Pacific Islanders and then seeing like all this stuff that's kind of problematic and wrong is really strange. Okay, so the next topic that we wanted to dive into to maybe explain some of the choices that the author made is the author's background and her bias. I actually have some quotes from an interview that she did that comment on the specific quotes from the book that you pulled out that you thought were problematic or negative. So in response to the quote that Amber pulled out about Matt King says, quote, we don't count as true or real Hawaiians because we we don't talk right either. To this, the author says, I didn't want it to be so Hawaiian-centric because I really wanted to show this Hawaiian man, and that's not how he identifies himself, and that's probably not how most people would identify themselves. I just wanted to tell a story from his point of view. To this, I think that's fair, but also because there's a lack of self-awareness in the character, it comes off as he's being very prejudiced and kind of racist. Yeah, and the fact that like because it's from the own character's perspective he's never called out for yeah. this by any of the other characters except for like one point where he says the r word but then it just gets turned into a joke yeah <laughs> and so that wasn't really helpful either and i think a part of it is because the tone of this character is more like dark and edgy and very cynical but because he's never like called out on it you don't get any other perspectives that might help create a more well rounded picture yeah it's true i don't know it's just like he him as a character just exhausts me it's just like why are you so mad at everyone who's you've never talked to so i mean i get what she's trying to do but i think she's removed herself so much from this character that this character has no capacity for empathy at all which is something that i see I mean, the character clearly is not a great guy. I just feel like if there were more examples of him being not a great guy to people outside of yeah. his race, then it would be like more like, oh, okay, this guy's just not a great guy, and that's why he's saying these things. And less like, oh, this is the reality. Yeah, like, like you said, it's like everything's so internalized, and then there's no growth at all throughout this book. He's still cynical at the beginning, he's cynical at the end. Yeah. Well, and like we said before, there's some random, like, jump to where he's like, I'm Hawaiian, I want this land, and we gotta keep it in the family. 
Yeah, it's like say he he is perfectly comfortable with being Hawaiian. He's proud of being Hawaiian. Then what that would insinuate is that he's trying to push his idea of Hawaiian, which is himself, onto uh, people who don't conform with it. So then her quote doesn't make any sense because it's like, does everyone who's Hawaiian like want everyone to be Hawaiian the same way that mm. that they are? I don't know. Well, here's another quote in reference to a conversation between Scotty, the ten-year-old daughter, and Matt King, the yeah. dad. And so. The dad says, what kind of Hawaiian are you? Like in a kind of joking manner. And Scotty replies, your kind. To this, the author says, I feel there are certain limitations when you identify with a certain culture. And I'm not sure sometimes what it means to be Hawaiian. I think Scotty didn't really know either. It probably felt different for the King family, who are Hawaiian, to identify themselves as Hawaiian when they're such big landowners and they go to private clubs and attend the private schools. Yet that makes them no less authentic as Hawaiians. I guess that's how that felt people feel the need to claim their race in different ways yeah that's fair but just how that was executed wasn't very good Mm -hmm. because it's like matt king criticizes everyone else yeah and it's portrayed as like this is the only option yeah versus everyone can do it in their own ways so she didn't really execute it exactly how she meant it i think So these are the list of things that Amber and I came up with that are very specific, but we need to bring them up anyway. (laughs) Because we are thorough, not because we are know-it-alls. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Okay, so the first nitpicky thing that we wanted to poke fun of, I guess, (laughs) is the name of the Hawaiian ancestor that Matt King's family is supposedly descended from. And this is a completely made-up fictional character, and her name happens to be Keikipi, which means, Amber... So, I prepared a lot for this. I pulled out my great-grandmother's Hawaiian dictionary, and (laughs) lied. I am looking up what it means. Okay, so Kekipi. So K is like a, you know, it means the. So when I look it up, I'm taking away the K. So I'm just looking up Kipi because her name is like the Kipi. Okay. <laughs> so let me read uh, the little translation thing. So Kipi, first uh, definition. Rebellion, revolt, rebel, rebellious, seditious, to rebel, revolt, resist lawful authority, to conspire against, to ram as of a goat. Okay, so obviously her name was supposed to mean rebel, like that's how they define the name. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of strange because it seems like the name is a lot more like political than just rebel it's like treason oh like there are those kinds of undertones in in the word yeah so it's like okay so you're a part of the ruling class and then the family names you after rebellion hello little rebellion please come here please eat your cookie (laughs) (laughs) i don't know it just seems so strange why did Mm -hmm. they pick that name and then it's even more strange because when we watched the movie they changed the name so you know that other people thought it was strange too to have a name like (laughs) Kekipi. So another thing that I thought was weird was like Princess Kekipi and like the weird comparisons to like Bernice Palahi Bishop and Charles Reed Bishop who are like, if you don't know, they're actual historical figures who were during like the time of like the overthrow and annexation. And so Charles Reed Bishop was known to be like a benefactor a little bit. Like he did the land rights for like some schools and he made Bishop Museum. So yeah, they're pretty cool people and they're pretty interesting. If you get a chance to learn about them, then you should definitely learn about them. But like, <laughs> like why though? They're real people and a lot of people people are very very emotionally attached to those people because they created a lot of opportunities for a lot of hawaiians yeah and so turning them into fictional characters was weird yeah i mean when i first read it through i didn't i didn't pick up on that just because like i didn't know about the history but 
Amber and I actually went to Bishop Museum to do a little bit more research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but after learning more about Pawahi and Bishop's story, there definitely were a lot of ties to Kekipi and whatever fictional name they made up for the other guy. Well, I don't even remember. I Oh, all it said was American Banker, which is very Charles Reed Bishop. Another thing that they said about her death was like this quote, which is so strange. It's like a Hawaiian quote and it reads... Kulakawaimaka uve opu, which is supposed to be defined as the tears fall, semicolon, the clouds weep. Okay, so what really caught me off guard was like the uve opu line, because that's defined as the clouds weep. Well, one, usually in like that kind of sentence structure, you'll have like a, I think it's called a kai at the front. So it would, instead of being uve opu, it would be uve the opu, like the the opu is weeping like uve kau opu so that's one thing but then also just like the word opu in general does doesn't really make sense in this context okay she so claims in this it means context clouds. opu is the subject opu is the subject yeah so if you were relying on the translation provided by the author mm-hmm. you would think that opu means clouds yes. which are doing the weeping yes but according to amber's great grandmother's hawaiian dictionary which is what is it called? A primary source. Opu does not mean clouds. So there's this first definition. Opu. No kahakos. Okina at the front. It says to dive into the water feet first without making a splash. An ancient sport. So by this definition, an ancient sport is crying. <laughs> Lady. <laughs> and then the other definition is like the belly. Mm-hmm. Kahako, kahako. It says belly, stomach, abdomen, tribe, giblet, gizzard, bladder, crop of a bird. So the crop of a bird is crying. <laughs> or your belly is crying. Neither of it makes sense. But opua. Hmm. Opua are like heavy clouds that like line on the horizon. So that's the only thing that makes sense. So if only Koi Hart Hemmings had added an A to the end of that opu, it would have made sense. It would have made sense. But take that with a grain of salt too. Because maybe Koi Hart Hemmings like, found this like different variation of opua or something and that's what she's using. But even like in like these memorials to like Poahi Bishop, they use that quote. Kulu Kawai Maka Uve Ka Opua. Not Kulu Kawai so i'm thinking that is a typo which is pretty embarrassing another thing that kind of like made me feel like kekipi and Pawahi were related was because of like apparently kekipi in her will put that she wanted a native hawaiian preferencing school mm-hmm. and his response to that this is matt king's response yeah, matt to kekipi's fictional will yeah <laughs> just to make it clear <laughs> because i think what was happening was Matt was discussing what they would do with the land after they sold it. And one thing that was brought up was that his ancestor, Keikipi, wanted to create a Hawaiian-only school. He says, When she died, she wanted the land to be used to fund a school for children of Hawaiian descent. This was her spoken wish that she failed to put into a contract. I have no interest in this wish in a Hawaiian-only school. There are already a few of them, and they are completely elitist, not to mention unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. And so in real life, there's only one kind yeah. of, there's only one school that is like that, and that's Kamehameha Schools. Mm-hmm. Which was, the Which money came from Powahi's trust. Yeah. And she put that in her will before she died, and Charles Reed Bishop set it all up and stuff. And so it's like so strange 
Yeah. That Matt King in the book goes out of his way to criticize this institution. Yeah. And it's like, well, who are you talking about? It kind of blows my mind because, again, this shows like a divide that the character has with the the Hawaiian community. Mm -hmm. Because if, if he wasn't privileged and he wasn't ignorant and if he actually knew anything about like his Hawaiian culture, then he wouldn't look at these schools like unconstitutional and elitist. Mm -hmm. He would be grateful whether or not that is actually true. Yeah. Because what those schools did is it gave native Hawaiians a good and competitive education. So it's like whether it's constitutional or not is a little irrelevant from the perspective of a native Hawaiian. Mm -hmm. But he seems so far removed from that that he doesn't understand. Okay. Our third nitpick is rocks. Rocks. Wow, this bothered me so much. This one deserves context. So this scene is when they're on Kauai. Yeah, so they're going to a heiau, I think. It's like a shrine. It's a place of worship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so like usually when people visit heiaus, they'll give a gift of some sort. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here's the quote. So they go to a heiau and then Matt King says this. In the fields of sharp rocks, I see heiaus and stones stacked on tea leaves, offerings to the gods. So he's saying stones stacked on tea leaves are offerings to the gods well little did you know matt king that that is uh wrong (laughs) (laughs) and people who are doing that are not doing it right it's usually tourists who do that because what will happen is like like i was always told by my kumahula to never give rocks as an offering because Mm. it's like what people do is they're just like oh well look i'm walking on the path to a heyo you know what i'll do i'll prepare an offering so then they just pick up a rock from the path and was like oh you like this rock well i took it from your road and now i'm giving it to you (laughs) (laughs) wow it's like uh, and then they wrap it in tea leaves to make it look all special (laughs) here's your special rock i wrapped it for you i wrapped it for you i I destroyed your path and then here you have and so actually we researched it because Mm -hmm. i was kind of doubting myself you know and i was like no this can't be true like this person says that stone stacked on tea leaves is an offering Mm -hmm. and then i was just like well okay and so i looked it up and what google said was that no that was something that foreigners assumed by watching native hawaiian like worship Mm. because they would put food offering and then they'd use stones to like keep away the rats like who would want like a rock as a gift (laughs) gee thanks (laughs) so it's like okay when you go to a heyo do not bring rocks do not take rocks from the path that is almost offensive (laughs) because you're like destroying the heyo you should either chant is what i was told or put a leg on like the altar and so that's what you should do okay no offense to anybody who's done that I'm sure you're a lovely person, just, you're kind of funny. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) So moving on, why don't we talk about the movie adaptation of this book? Because we watched the movie after we read the book, and we noticed a couple of changes were made. Yeah. So what I noticed was everything that I thought was problematic was taken out of the plot. And the people who were making the movie looked at the content of the book and was like, yeesh, they took it out. (laughs) So we think the movie is less problematic than the book, Mm -hmm. but we also agreed that it flattens some of the characters. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of a point on the characters that (laughs) (laughs) if your characters aren't interesting, if they're not problematic, 
then? What does that Uh-oh. say about your characters? Hmm. Like, I felt like Sid was a lot more boring. Mm-hmm. So Sid is Alex, the 17-year-old daughter's friend, and he kind of just follows them around <laughs> for most of the story. In the book, he definitely has, like, a bigger role and, yeah. like, has more speaking parts. But in the movie, he's kind of just there. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the wife's name changed, too. They changed her name from Joni to... to Elizabeth. Yeah. I mean, I supported that. (laughs) I thought it was unnecessary. (laughs) So, in conclusion to this episode, I guess we'd say that we'd recommend the movie over the book, but still go into it with a grain of salt. Just know that the main character is a bad person. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the movie is made better because he's portrayed by George Clooney. Oh, of course. Yeah, that makes it so much better. And so for our next episode, we will be reading The Secret Daughter by Shilpi Somaya Gauda. A link to this book will be on the website for you to purchase it, as well as any other resources that we think would be helpful in understanding the descendants and any topics that we talked about on this episode. And with that said, we hope to see you on the next episode. Goodbye.